0: At Jiffy Lube, it's our job to make car care make sense with personalized service reviews that swap the car talk for straight talk so you know what your car is telling you and what to do about it. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care, that's a job for Jiffy.
1: Have you heard? Amazon is now hiring for their new site, opening soon in New Albany. Be one of the first to take advantage of launching a new career at one of the best workplaces in the world. Being a part of Amazon includes great benefits and competitive pay, plus many opportunities for advancement. So get a new job today and kickstart a new career tomorrow. Learn more about the perks of
0: working at a new Amazon site. Go to amazon.com slash start now. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Welcome back to the x everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide, as together we will cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the x It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the x comes to you Monday through Friday from 11 p.m. Eastern until 3 a.m. Eastern, Right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Radio X across Europe, Euro Radio TV in Europe, and, of course, on iHeart Radio. If you'd like to, send us an email, exxon at TV.com on all social media sites, exxon Radio TV, And uh, to find out all about the great programming we have for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour is Zach Van Ick, and uh, we're going to be talking about the Skinwalker Ranch. And uh, not, uh, I'm going to bring Zach on right now. Uh, Zach, thanks very much for contacting us and telling us about this this um, phenomenon. Yeah,
1: Rob, thanks very much. Yeah, no problem. It's It'll be 21 years now uh, next month that I went out on the ranch and first broke the story. And uh, I, I just don't want people to forget about it. It's pretty amazing, and stuff is still going on.
0: So what is your background, and why did you get involved in the investigation into this wrench?
1: You know, I I started as a sports writer in journalism at the age of 14, and then, you know, when I got married in my 20s, I I went over to news, and it was fun, and I'd always been interested in UFOs. I mean, I saw Chariots of the Gods. that came out, I think, when I was like eight. Uh Uh, I'm I'm 54 now. I was born in 62. Raised in Virginia, and, you know, was always interested in this sort of stuff. Um, But when I got into journalism and worked for... The New Mexican in Santa Fe, the daily newspaper there, I started there in 1991 and was working as the assistant sports editor and then moved over to be an enterprise reporter. And it was fun. I got to do stories about uh, they, they would give me like a whole month. And I would do a series of stories like um, hunger and starvation in northern New Mexico, which is really prevalent there, and that really opened some eyes. And um, one thing that was going on at that time was there were some mysterious cattle mutilations that nobody seemed to understand. And we would have ranchers that would call the paper and say, look, you know, this is going on, and this state won't help me. No one will help me. What do I do? And so they gave me a month to examine and explore cattle mutilations in northern New Mexico in 93 and 94. And that's that was really my first um uh, official journalistic dive into all of this. I'd done a little bit previously. Uh, but that gave me the background. And then I then I got a, a little bit better job, higher paying job at the Salt Lake paper, the Deseret News. And I moved there in 94. <clears throat> and then it wasn't until 96 when Independence Day came out that I finally convinced my editors to uh, unleash me and let me write some stories about Local UFO sightings, et cetera, and and I'd already had some experience with it because uh, they're in Utah. Because when when I first moved to the Deseret News in '94, they put me on the um, the the town government beat, and so I was covering all these little. Um, Governments uh, within Salt Lake County and so Mildred Beasley who was the uh, Coordinator for MUFON for the state of Utah at the time she's since passed She was in her 80s at the time And so I would go over and visit with Mildred between my assignments and just hear about all this amazing stuff That was going on in Utah including in the 1970s uh, 1975 there was a book that came out called the Utah UFO display It's still around, but I think there were only 5,000 copies originally. It's written by dr. Frank Salisbury from Utah State University, and he passed away about a couple years ago, I believe, uh, or last year. And and he was fantastic. I called Frank and uh, got a lot of information from him. But uh, just to give you a sum up, what I found out was that in the 70s, there were 400 recorded sightings of UFOs, and seven of those included beings inside or outside the craft. Hmm. And this was in the Uinta Basin of eastern Utah from roughly the late 60s until 1975. And And out there, there was a gentleman by the name of Junior Hicks, who was the junior high science teacher in Roosevelt, Utah, which you can look on your map where that is, and that's very close to where all this was happening. And so everyone would come to junior because no one officially was keeping track. They wrote the book. I knew stuff had happened in the past. So in 96, I thought, well, let me see what's going on now.
0: All right, stand by. We've got to take our first break. Zach Van Eck is our special guest, Exxon Nation. And if you'd like to uh, visit his website, it's igg.me forward slash at forward slash 29leo. And he also has a Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Zach dot And we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Yeah.
3: Help us help a veteran make it through the night.
4: Out in the field, farmers grew bread. And called for the meat, they took for the shed. The dark too
0: far. XO Nation Zach Van Eck is our special guest. Uh, his website again is igg.me forward slash at forward slash 29 Leo. Zach, thanks very much for joining us and uh, tell us about this, uh, this skinwalker ranch that you did a beautiful job on setting up for us.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and let me tell you real quick, that that website, if you go to it, that is our Indiegogo campaign for a movie called The Shenandoah Experiment, which Mm -hmm. we're shooting this summer, and the movie after that, which we'd like to do with a bigger budget, is the one that is about the Sherman Ranch, and we call it The Devil's Ranch, and uh, yeah, we just want to get this one uh, down first. This first one, though, does include the uh, Menacing Blue Orbs, which are part of the Skinwalker Ranch legacy, and we will get into the orbs briefly, but let me just... uh, Give you a setup here so uh, i was working the deseret news in salt lake city in 1996 it was an afternoon newspaper at the time it's uh, still around not mm-hmm. as big they laid off a bunch of people and that's one of the reasons why i'm in hollywood right now and not working as a journalist because journalism really changed uh, about five ten years ago uh so uh as i mentioned previously I, I had covered cattle mutilations in in northern new mexico and it was really frustrating for all the cattle ranchers because a lot of them in northern new mexico it's a very small family operation mm-hmm. they have like 10 to 12 cattle. And so, if they have a light in the sky at night, and they wake up the next morning and they have a cow that's mutilated, you know, that's that's four thousand dollars potentially, uh, maybe less in that market. But that's that's like, uh, you know, that's eight percent of your family's income. And if you lose a second cow, you're pretty much shot for the year. So yeah. it was a real concern, and the government really wasn't doing anything about it. There was a study in 1980. Former FBI agent was hired, and he concluded that all of the cattle mutilations in northern New Mexico in the 1970s were done by uh, flies and uh insects and other predators so it really didn't help people but by the time we came along 10 years had passed people were talking about it some more so by the time i moved to salt lake i was aware that pretty much any state if you wanted to do some research you could find out a lot of strange things going on that most newspapers did not cover now the desert Excuse me, the Deseret News is a little bit different newspaper. It's owned by the Mormon Church. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when I moved to Salt Lake and the Mormon missionaries came over, that was one of the things we talked about quite a bit was UFOs and life on other planets. I wanted to talk only about that. They wanted to talk about other things, so we didn't have much to, to talk about. But I found that my editors were really supportive uh, of getting out there and doing some stories, but we were waiting, waiting for the right moment. So in 96, the movie Independence Day came out. They gave me a couple of weeks to see what I could find. I already knew some stuff that was going on. I talked to some people, some very interesting things just in those last couple of years. There was a there was a gentleman who spoke to me on the record. Uh, he was uh, in his house in Immigration Canyon in Salt Lake City late at night, very cold winter night. And he, he something told him to go outside. He went outside. He looked up. There was a there was a, um, a UFO craft. He described disc shaped craft where he could see through the portals. He could see people. He described them, I guess what you would say, like Nordics, like like thin, blonde humanoids and they spoke to him telepathically and said, Hey, would, would you like to come with us? And he essentially said, well, no, you know, I got a family. I really can't go. And they said, okay, no problem. <laughs> and they flew on by. So, you know, but there was like 10 different stories like that. A woman named Linus Gines, up in um, Neola, I believe it was up in, um, near park city. Uh, had had a situation years before and she spoke on the record about it where she and her son saw a UFO land in the backyard um, so, I knew a lot of stuff had happened, but I really wanted something for those series of articles that had happened like within the last year or so. And so I talked to Junior Hicks on the phone. And again, he was the uh, junior high science teacher in Roosevelt, Utah, who in the 60s and 70s really kept track. People would come to him, and, and Junior, I, I went to his house, and he had all these models of UFOs that people had seen, and it was pretty incredible um but the last thing i did for those series of articles was give junior a call and say you know i've got a lot of stuff but uh, is there anything going on right now and you know it's one of those things where as a reporter it's like you you always want to ask that follow up question there's always that nagging feeling that you didn't get everything and so junior paused for a minute and he said you know you might want to check with gwen down at the bank and that was gwen sherman i gave her a phone call and within a week i was out on the sherman ranch Uh, at the end of June of 96, talking to Terry and Gwen Sherman about all the crazy things that had happened uh, on their ranch, a lot of which they had witnessed personally over the last 20 months, and we'll get into that in just a second.
0: So, uh, all these sightings that that have been going on, you know, what's your hypothesis? How come some people see these crafts, some people see extraterrestrials in the craft, other people have telepathic communication, and other people nothing.
1: Yeah, and this case is full of that stuff. Um, uh, first of all, uh, I think there's a bit, uh, as you know, there's a bit of an angular um, <clears throat> angular perception. In other words, uh, someone can be uh, standing here, someone can be over there 40 feet away and see something in the sky that the person who's 40 feet away doesn't see, or they see something different. And and I certainly experienced that in my interviews with people in Utah. And that was the case uh, in the 1970s cases, too, a lot of times, where, where people were together, one person saw something, one person didn't. As far as the telepathy goes, you know, I'm an astrologer, and I would love to know if these people have a lot of water, like a lot of Pisces, for example. But, but when, the, when the National Institute for Discovery Science went out and observed this ranch later, and we're moving ahead a little bit, but it's pertinent here, uh, one of the most interesting incidences was one of telepathic communication with one of the NIDS scientists, where there were two two men sitting in a trailer, essentially watching the kettle, hoping it would boil, because that's kind of what happened. Once the scientists got out on the ranch, nothing really happened. So they're playing cards, uh, probably bored. Um, there was a light outside. They were aware of it, and one of the investigators said, we need to go outside. So he went out. The other guy followed him, but wasn't as close as him, mm-hmm. and— of the two, the one one of them was standing there for about two minutes, looking up in the sky, and the other person was observing him. The person who was observing the guy couldn't really see anything in the sky; just saw, saw kind of a brown spot. Uh, well, after those two minutes, the other guy reported to him that they that that he had seen something, and they had communicated to him, and telepathically, and and basically what they said was that. Um, they were doing the same things they were both doing the same things but their roles were reversed which i thought was really interesting and uh they they told him also that whoever they are uh they have the advantage and humans can't stop them from doing whatever they want to do and then and then they basically said well we're going back to work now but but the guy was really freaked out and and didn't go back and so Uh, And that is something that's interesting. And John Alexander, who uh, was uh, one of the NIDS officials, in fact, you you can find a pretty good video of John Alexander. It's a PR piece, but it's pretty good. It came out, I think, in 2013. It's on YouTube and he talks about the ranch a little bit. But but uh, John basically said in that uh, interview, he did say that there does seem to be some people who he used the word sensitive, some people who are sensitive and are able to pick up. Uh, information, telepathic communication, and I don't know if if they, whoever they are, are, are aware of that, and then choose people or or what it's all about. But there definitely does seem to be a telepathic component to it, and and the and the Shermans felt that a little bit too once they got on the ranch as well.
0: What do we know about the Shermans as far as background is concerned?
1: You know, uh, solid, solid, um, stable, just salt of the earth people. Terry is, uh, you know. In fact, one, one thing that people have said about our screenplays, they don't believe it because they think the family would have left sooner. And I'm like, well, this is real life. Terry is not about to let anybody dictate what he wants to do. And he had this life vision, I mean, he's from Arizona. He mm-hmm. went to school at Washington State for animal husbandry. He became really good at um, creating a hybrid breed of Angus, and that's what he wanted to find a big ranch. So he could have a lot of cattle and sell his hybrid Angus, which bring a pretty good price on the market. Well, guess what? That He had other cattle out there, too, but the hybrid Angus were the only ones that, whatever it is, the mutilators, the only ones that they bothered. Uh, but Terry was determined— to defend his ranch and so and that's one reason why the family saw so much stuff because he's always out there with a scope he's looking he knows where these these three different types of craft they see flying through the air they they say they see red balls they see blue balls flying through the air the blue balls are the ones that seem to indicate that a cow mutilation may be on the way that mutilations take place uh during the new moon and so terry is processing all this with gwen and they have two kids who i believe were i think nine and eleven i want to say and I'd love to talk to those kids now. That's something I want to do this summer. But, but you know, they're just normal folks. And you get out there, and Terry told me, he said, and here, here was the deal, Rob. It was like, I, 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 I had connections with Robert Bigelow. I felt Robert Bigelow would jump at the chance of buying this ranch. Mm-hmm. So my deal with the Shermans was like, look, I have been covering this for several years. I have... I have 11 pages of people who have had things happen to them. Let me share this with you, which I did. And they called people, and they felt a lot better. I think after talking to some people who, who'd had some similar experiences. And then within a month, Bigelow was out there. Uh, Linda Moulton Howe had Terry on on uh, Dreamland that night because I was familiar with Linda from having done the cattle mutilations in New Mexico. So at least what happened is Terry was and his family. They were able to get off the ranch. Bigelow bought the ranch. I heard for a little less than what Terry paid for it. But they were just when they spoke to me, they were just at their wits and they didn't know what to do. Terry had already tried to sell the ranch and he didn't want to sell it to a family because of everything that happened to his family. It was just too scary. He didn't want to sell it to a hunting club. He figured that could be trouble. So what do you do? So a reporter comes out. He he gives us the story. And Robert Bigelow, uh, about a month later, comes out to the ranch. I think it was less than that. And uh, ends up buying it and bringing his National Institute for Discovery Science onto the property to study the phenomena.
0: And what has been found out about the study of the phenomena, with all the uh, all the research that's been done to date?
1: Well, and you know, uh, Bigelow, of course, is uh, building space stations uh, in space now, so uh, or hotels, I guess. Uh, so he has kind of moved on. He he shut down the National Institute for Discovery Science. Uh, I think you can. I think their website is still up. But basically, what they'll tell you is they were out there for, mm-hmm. let's see, at least five years, uh, if not ten with people out there actively and and there's still people there bigelow owns a ranch if anything happens uh, he will know about it. but not much happened in other words they did have one cattle mutilation that they studied uh, it, it proved to be similar to all the other Cattle mutilations with high heat involved and, and all of that, uh, but but I'll tell you the, the incident that uh, They've talked about that they and and this is actually the incident that Prompted me to write the Shenandoah experiment, which is a time travel film. Okay, so mm-hmm. here's what happened when they first got on the ranch, they put up four platforms. This is a 480-acre ranch. The family has moved on. Terry is still coming over and caretaking the ranch, and they, and they have cattle there still, okay? So uh, the cameras are pointed at each other. So camera one can see camera two. Camera two can see camera three, etc. But it's a lot of property to cover here. So the cameras are up and running, and this wasn't very long into their stay on the ranch. And all of a sudden, camera two uh, went out. Well, they could see with camera one that, you know, the cattle were were right under it, and they didn't seem to be disturbed. They didn't really know what had happened. Well, they went and checked it out, and and everything that supports the camera, all of the duct tape, all of the wiring, the PVC pipe, all of that Mm -hmm. was completely gone. Not just stripped, but gone, like vanished. And here's the interesting part, is they could see what happened, if you will, from camera one. And apparently it's 1.3 seconds per frame. That's the way they had the camera set. So... Within 1.3 seconds, they could see camera two sitting there with everything working properly. And then 1.3 seconds later, you can see it. It's completely stripped. It's completely gone. It's no longer working. And the cattle didn't even move. And these cattle, I was out there. If you walk near the cattle, anywhere near them, they're going to run. So what happened in that 1.3 seconds? And and we talk about um, angularity, and we also talk about um, time, because to me... There are just some uh, some elements of this story and other stories where, okay, how did they do that? How 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 was whatever did it not seen and also apparently did it in a very short amount of time?
0: Zach, stand by. We've got to take our break. For the news at the bottom of the hour, Exonation, Zach Van Eck is our special guest. And his uh, website is igg.me forward slash at forward slash 29leo. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. And as requested by 32,176 emails from you, the members of the Exxon Nation, the music is back. To an alien, near Roswell, last night. We
4: strolled along together in the pale moonlight. I had a funny feeling that something wasn't right. I made love to an alien last night.
0: Next, Nation, we're talking to Zach Van Eck. Uh, his website is igg.me forward slash at forward slash 29leo. Thanks very much for joining us, Zach. Tell us more about the uh, the people who originally owned the Skinwalker Ranch and and the experiences that they had.
1: Yeah, Terry and Gwen Sherman uh, and their two kids uh, lived on uh, what we now call the Skinwalker Ranch, which uh, is in eastern Utah. And it was um, it was left alone for about seven years before they moved on to the property. And there was some interesting uh, history with it, and they found out a lot of that history as they once they got onto the property but but basically you're talking about um you know just an an average rancher guy who wants to wants to do what he loves get out there find a big ranch have a lot of cattle make some money and do what he's good at doing which is uh creating a genetic hybrid of angus cattle that bring uh top dollar at the auction but uh that kind of backfired terry sherman thought he had a great um property to buy 480 acres very near where his wife was from. His wife is from the Uinta Basin. Terry's from Arizona and went to school uh, up in Washington. But um, this is what he wanted to do. This was his life dream, and the price was right, and everything looked great until they got on the property. E- even before they moved on to the property, there was some some interesting things that happened. They started to see some circular depressions. There there was one out in the field that, that was kind of close to the tree line, and Terry just – it was kind of eroded a little bit. Terry figured somebody just uh, – pulled a tree out of there, maybe. Uh, But then he started seeing them in the middle of the pasture where you wouldn't think the trees would be and certainly weren't as far as he knew. And then there was an occasion where before they even moved in, they had come over. I think they were moving in. They were putting some stuff up and there was a Terry described as kind of like a like a wolf dog. But it was huge. It was like 800 pounds. It was something they'd never seen before. And it was just kind of lumbering around the property and and was threatening. And Terry shot at it and, uh, several times. And, and I know he said one, one big patch of hair like flew off like one big peach piece of, uh, you know, hair and skin, but didn't phase the animal. And the animal ran off. Uh, OK. <laughs> never seen anything like that before. And then little by little, more things here and there. And again, they lasted about 20 months on the ranch. They found out later that the Ute Indians who run the water treatment plant there uh, that is on the road going towards the ranch, when they moved in, they um, and, and Terry got to know them later, but they, they took a pool to see how long the family would last because the local Indians uh, know about that area, that ranch, and they don't go on that area. Uh, And the longest bet apparently was 18 months, and they they beat it. So I don't know who won the pool, but uh, I think 22 months is how long they were out there. But um, all sorts of strange things, in addition to seeing um, later, especially creatures that you don't think belong in this time period, like there was some sort of velociraptor or something in a tree at some point. Uh, were uh, The biggest thing I'd say is that uh, after a few months, they were on their front porch and they started seeing the windows in the sky open up, if you will. And whether or not it's some sort of uh, tear in the electromagnetic fabric uh, of our planet, as, as Linda Moulton Howe has uh, talked about, or in this case, whether it was some sort of cloaked ship. Or something with a different environment on the other side, because what they were seeing, and they saw this many times, and they sat there on their porch and watched it again from about 400 yards. But Terry has several high-powered rifle scopes, so they were able to see it pretty well. And what happened is these circular openings; they were about a hundred feet in diameter. They would open up. There were a total of four of them that would open, and they were always in the same position in the sky in relationship to each other, about 100 yards away from each other. Wow. And on the other side, you could see this sort of auburn sky, and at times you could see a blue sky. So it's it's almost like, you know, was that another reality on the mm-hmm. other side? Or is it such a large cloaked ship that only opens to allow smaller ships in and out, which is what was was happening? Do, does it have its own environment, or is it something completely different? But it's pretty interesting, and it also, Terry also was told by a rancher um, six years before that. This rancher lived down near Price, Utah, so about 80 miles away southeast that he had the same thing happen where there were cattle mutilations and he saw these openings in the sky where ships would come out come in and out. And so at least Terry felt like they weren't alone, but that wasn't really helping them. Because what they would see is they would see three ty- two types of craft that would come out. One was the box shaped craft, which was like a large refrigerator, basically like like eight feet by six feet. And I believe it had it had very, if any wings at all, they were very small. It was mostly just a box. It had a sort of an auburn, auburn pulsating light Behind it, and then on the front, it see. Oh, you, you Terry said you couldn't see where it was coming from, but but there was the projection of a beam that they described. It made it look like it was it was sunlight. Okay, middle of the night, new moon, and you've got sunlight on the ground coming from somewhere. Apparently, the front of the craft or around the craft, it was, and and the beam would go. It, it could go down to about ten feet, or it could widen up and brighten up the whole pasture. So they would see this a lot, and it often seemed that these uh boxcraft were following sort of a grid where it would, it would go down and then it would hit the bottom of the pasture and it would make a 90 degree angle and then another one and come back up the way it came just, uh, you know, 10 yards away. That kind of thing. So it was searching for something. Mm-hmm. What, do the, then- uh,
0: what do the experts say? What does the military say? What do the local law enforcement officials say? Well you're not entirely. gonna get
1: much uh out of them at all. In fact, I never got anything official out of Hill Air Force Base or mm-hmm. or really anyone. Um basically we we talked to um uh Hatsadakis was his last name, I believe it was Stephen. He was the um and he may still be there, he was the sheriff, deputy sheriff uh for Una County, and and we talked to him quite a bit. And you know, the, the, the local um the local guys really couldn't do much. I mean he he said that the problem with the mutilations and, and in fact the Sherman's uh, their neighbor had two also at the same mm-hmm. time. He said, usually the ranchers call us late. We go out there. It doesn't look like anything. We can't really do anything. And they really can't do anything unless unless they can find the perpetrators. But they don't really know. Now, as far as the military is concerned, um, there was nothing ever official. But Terry actually knew somebody at Hill Air Force Base. And he there was a guy who was coming out in a car in a truck and kind of seemed to be observing things. And a lot of this happened after the the immediate. Um, sorry, after my um, articles came out as when sort of six months uh, before that, they hadn't really seen anything. But then this guy from Hill Air Force Base was there. Terry confronted him. He said, yeah, I'm from Hill. Terry, uh, Terry said, get off my land. Uh, the guy came a, a couple other times, saw the same vehicle. Terry saw a different license plate each time. And so Terry eventually did his own research and called his friend at um, Hill Air Force Base and find, found out who the guy was, but, but didn't really get much more than that. He thought maybe he was, he was working on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy from the Navy, two guys from the Navy, allegedly from the Navy, that came out and poked around and were really curious and got some information and left and never came back. Um, what, about, what, when, about
0: other, what about other uh, UFO investigative uh, organizations, such as MUFON? Did they come out and do an investigation?
1: You know, I, um, yeah, I'm not sure about Mufon because I, I, I think Mildred. I'm not sure Mildred was still around. That I think she was. Um, yeah, I don't remember what they did now. I, I think a lot of it was kind of what happened at the time is because uh, Bigelow swooped in so quickly. Mm-hmm. What everybody was saying was, oh, hey, now this uh, who this millionaire guy has taken over the ranch, and and we don't have any information now. So it was like uh, there really was no way. To study or get on there or 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 make your own opinions because eventually, you know, it was quickly locked down and eventually they did release information but that that was the backlash I think the Bigelow got but you know they said they were trying to do things the right way and look at things scientifically and that I think that's great that that's a great way to study it but what they found out is that you really can't find scientific fact they basically just left it at it is a precognitive sentient phenomena and John Alexander will tell you, you know, it, it's very real, and it is in control, and and you know he he they talk about calling it like the trickster, and that's sort of where the skinwalker uh, moniker comes from, the shapeshifter, but uh, I think it's much more than that, but. The trickster element is very prevalent in this because uh, as the NIDS researchers found out if you and Terry found out as well, if you because they interrupted a couple of catamylas, so if you try to stay one step ahead of this phenomena, it seems to be precognitive, it seems to know what you 're doing, and it seems and Terry found that. To be true, there was one time he said he saw a craft 400 yards away. He started walking towards it. He got 300 yards away, and it started to move and signaled to him, and it knew he was coming. So they always felt like they were being watched,
0: okay. and
1: they had dreams as well that were telepathic. And and uh, go okay, and let, let, me.
0: let me ask you a question here. You know, yep. if if Terry was so confident that these crafts would be coming back, how come there's no photos?
1: Well, actually, um, they videotaped the craft. I think they said. I think seven different times. Um, The one that they got that was supposedly really, really good early on, Terry took it to a guy in town, a guy who said he could look at it and enhance it. Well, you know, after some time went by, Terry checked with him, and the guy said, oh, you know, it busted. Sorry, I don't have it anymore. One of those things. uh, That was the best one they had. They had another one that, um, a kid, one of the kids took Mm -hmm. and they said it was just, it was just a little bit too blurry, but they really did try. But the thing you have to realize too, they would go four months without anything happening. And often when things would happen, it was just simply when Terry and his kid or his nephew or Terry and Gwen were out on the ranch doing things. And Terry tried to be fairly prepared. Of course, this was, you know, 96, uh, you didn't have a phone camera back then easily, but, uh, yeah, they they did make efforts, and they did get things, uh, but nothing that anybody really ever saw. Uh, and NIDS tried to do the same thing, allegedly. How about and now, with the
0: Freedom of Information Act, getting radar trackings of those dates and times to see if there was any radar occurrence?
1: That would be great. Could you do that? That would be very interesting. Yes.
0: MUFON could do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I, in fact, um, I, I do want to talk to MUFON here in California uh, fairly soon about this whole thing. So, uh, yeah, that would be interesting to find out. It'd be, it'd be interesting to go back and do some work, too. And, and, and believe me, there's many, many uh, stories that are not being revealed. Even when Terry and Gwen spoke to me, mm-hmm. uh, Terry told me, he said, I, I can't tell you everything. And they, and they didn't tell me about the uh, menacing blue balls in blue orbs in the first interview. And I can understand why. And I can tell you about that next.
0: All right. So I, I, I understand the enthusiasm behind behind the whole project. But. Where's the where's the where's the meat? Where's the proof?
1: That's exactly what the National Institute for Discovery Science said as, as they walked away. They said, we don't have the proof. <laughs> we tried. There is no proof. Absolutely not. Um, now, what there is, is, you, for example, and I mentioned Linda Moulton Howe earlier, and mm-hmm. she's pretty much done what what I did in the past, but she's continued to do it. And, you know, with all of her investigation and talking to people in the government and whatnot, um, her feeling is that, you know, to some degree, the, the mutilations are, have to do with, with sustenance for whatever these beings or creatures are, but primarily it deals with replication. It deals with repl- replicating bodies for the use of some sort of alien species, and there's probably more than one. I mean, that's all theory and conjecture, and of course, we've all talked about that ad nauseum, but it seems like something uh, like that certainly fits. Um the fact that the phenomena is in control, I think, is very apparent too. That we're only going to be told what we need to know, and 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 I'm very curious about the the whole incident with the NID's um, scientists too Right, but wise. you're saying you're
0: saying that you're saying the phenomena is in control. Could it be mm-hmm. that there is no phenomena to control?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, would you like to go live out on the ranch for two years?
0: <laughs> sure.
1: Uh, yeah. No. I mean. Uh, well. I mean. Uh, so you're doubting, like, I, I mean, we can, the the, uh, the NIDS researchers also saw a lot of the stuff that the Sherman yeah. saw. And they were certainly not doing it for publicity, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the, I mean, the kids were getting ridiculed in town. Uh, Gwen lost her job at the bank. Uh, she couldn't get any sleep. I mean, there was poltergeist activity in the house also. So not, so
0: not only is there a UFO activity, poltergeist activity, I'm sorry, UFO activity,
4: cattle mutilation,
0: for? and, and uh, let's say the men in black or... Uh, government agencies, but there's also now poltergeist activity in the house. Sounds like a plethora of every book I've ever read on the uh, paranormal.
1: Pretty much, and uh, and Terry, they also had uh, nightmares and dreams. They had some dreams where they were...
0: Okay, Terry... I, Zach, I've got to take my uh, final break. Please stand by. Exxon right. Nation, this is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue and wrap up this hour here in The Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario. Don't go away. this product is a real winner to learn more about one two three ready tv visit our website at www.xzbn.net
2: this is the exxon broadcast network broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers including cnn broadcast network Sirius satellite network star media good news radio network
0: Welcome back, everyone. This is the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell. Zach Van Eck is our special guest. Uh, we're talking about the Sherman Ranch and uh, the strange going on there we've had. Let me see. Cattle mutilations, UFO sightings, um, and poltergeist activity, strange dreams. Uh, Bigelow bought in, bought the ranch. Couldn't find anything to substantiate any of the claims. Um,
1: well I, I wouldn't say he couldn't substantiate the claims I think all of I, I, the know claims I know what were...
0: I what I said was could not find any evidence to substantiate any of the claims
1: you're pretty much correct there with the exception of one cattle mutilation and, and yeah and as far as we know,
0: yeah so why pay interest in this case
1: well i, I think uh, one of the reasons is because um, in in my research, this is where I came across the uh, the blue orbs for the first time and they're and they're very interesting okay. um Terry and Gwen started seeing them several months into their experience on the ranch where they would look down uh, at the end of the pasture and see this uh, blue ball of light that was kind of uh, bouncing through the air, maybe six to ten feet off the ground. It seemed to move very quickly when it wanted to, definitely intelligently controlled, the way they described it, uh, moving quickly and then slowly at times. Bouncing around, they saw it several times, uh, and they would see it generally... they, they came to associate it with the cattle So when they saw the blue balls, they, they felt like they were going to have some trouble. And what the balls would do, it looked like, was, was go throughout the periphery of the property as if it were, were checking for something or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then they had an occasion where one of the blue balls actually came up out of the pasture and came up to where they were near the house. And it, uh, it spooked one of the horses. Uh, one of the, there was one blue ball that was flying around the head of a horse. And Terry and Gwen were there and they saw it. And Terry remembers that um, his thinking is that these orbs, whatever they are, they have some ability to uh, make you afraid, very afraid, much more so than just simply, now obviously a ball flying through the air, seemingly intelligently controlled. And by the way crackling with static electricity Mm -hmm. uh is probably enough to frighten you anyway but terry's not a guy who gets scared very easily and he always said whenever the orbs were around there was some element of fear that they would they would somehow deposit within you this idea that you should get away and the orbs did prove themselves to be uh dangerous On, on that first uh case when the orb flew around the horse the horse's head, it then flew over towards Gwen, mm-hmm. right at her, and she had a flashlight, so she shined the light on it, and that seemed to distract it. The minute you shine the light on it, it, it goes away. It, it went around, flew around a little bit more, and then and then left, and Terry described it as uh, sort of a glass <clears throat> glass or opaque ball, uh, maybe softball size, maybe a little bit bigger than a softball, uh, with kind of a, a liquid, a, a, a blue liquid, that he said would sort of sit at the bottom half of the circle and it was almost like it was starting to boil it was some kind of liquid and then he also noticed that when it would move that the liquid would overlap and there was almost like one dark blue and one lighter blue and and you know because they really got to look at it up close and then uh, and then they'd see it a few more times and then and then later in in 96 before they moved out and this was something they didn't tell me about but this is really what clinched it for them uh, they didn't tell me about this originally, but they talked about it later, and what happened is Terry saw another one of these uh, blue ball, blue balls, and, and they'd seen them before, and they were irritating, and they always knew that they kind of, you know, meant trouble, so yeah. uh, it's 300 yards away, bouncing around the pasture, the the dogs, of course, see it and aware of it, um, he's got the, three dogs, three healers, he's got them on a leash, mm-hmm. and Terry says, you know, I don't really know why I let him go, but I was kind of frustrated anyway, I just, I just let him go, so... The dogs take off and they run down the pasture and Terry's watching on a scope. And this is this is late at night. Um, I think the the weather was bad as well, which often they would come when the weather was bad. They seem to like that cover. But the dogs started chasing the ball and the ball started playing with the dogs in the sense that it would dip down right where they could grab it, and then as soon as they would fight at it, it would lift up, and they had no success. And, of course, this really frustrated and angered the dogs. So the Blue Ward then, with all these angry dogs after it, led the dogs into, uh, and this seemed to be something too, uh, they like the cover of uh, trees. So it was trying to pull the dogs into, uh, lure them into a grove of trees, uh, which it did. And then Terry I uh, couldn't see them anymore, but he heard uh, a yelp, Uh, And then nothing. And the dogs didn't return. And he didn't go out at that time, obviously, late at night with it raining and that having just happened. But the next day he went out with Gwen and they found um, three sort of darkened circular impressions on the ground. And there was sort of a an, an apple butter, greasy like sort of substance in the center of those three. Uh, which is somewhat consistent with with the cattle mutilations that Dr. Schuler has uh, looked at, and uh, they no longer had dogs. So at that point, uh, Terry and Gwen were uh, ready to leave.
0: Did they file a report uh, with the sheriff's office?
1: At that point, uh, yeah, I don't know if it did any good. They'd certainly been in touch with the sheriff's office, uh, but, but it's just like in New Mexico. It's like, what good does it do? What good does well, the sheriff l- do? Me I mean, ask, you might let as well me ask let you, him know, maybe. Let me ask you
0: <laughs> this. Did they take the cadaver of the dog to a, to a veterinarian to get a vet's opinion okay. and to file a report?
1: Well, there was no cadaver. There was nothing. There, there was just a black spot on the ground.
0: Okay. Please. So bes- ha- what have you yourself seen?
1: Oh, I haven't seen anything at all.
0: So who has just... besides these people?
1: Um, about, I'd say, well, at least 400 people in the UN Basin in the 60s and 70s. No, I
0: mean on this ranch. On this ranch. All the, all the uh, examples you've given us tonight about well, let what's me going me on this Okay, ranch.
1: there's a guy named, well, I know what you're looking for. There's a guy named Dean, Dean Durhawk, who I interviewed, and he was 11 years old in 1980 when he was on his uncle's property, which is right across from the ranch, and yeah. he saw a silver disc uh, land on the ranch property. He was out on a horse by himself. And uh, and he also saw something uh, get out of it, and it, uh, it freaked him out, and, and he left. So that's the one story I can tell you of someone who did see something on the ranch lawn before the Shermans moved in. Now, the other thing you have to realize, too, is there's a long history of the ranch before the Shermans got on there, including— Uh, Ranch hands who came out and talked to the Shermans afterwards and told them about the experience that the Myers has had there because the Myers uh, had the house for a long time. Mr. Meyer died in 1980. His elderly wife lived there for seven more years. And the woman who took care of uh, her encouraged her to get off the property because there were too much strange things going on. Uh, The Myers had four chains for they had four supposedly ferocious dogs. That's what the workers told Terry. Uh, that they would put at each of the doors uh, inside the house. There's locks on the inside, sort of like a panic room also. Um, there are There's lots of Utes uh, legends and information. For example, um, the, like I told you before, the Utes uh, consider that area off limits, never go over there. When, when Terry bought the property, what you required to do over there, because there's a lot of private property, Indian property, is get an archaeological study that shows whether or not there are any Indian artifacts there and the indians said no you don't need that it's okay we know there are no artifacts there we never go there we know that's the skinwalker ranch so it's it's uh, completely within the indian culture there they're very aware of it that strange things go on there uh, i think uh, what the shermans experience was unusual because of uh, who they were and what they were trying to do at that time uh, for all we know things have been going on for a long time um, I, I don't yeah i don't have any doubts that the the, the shermans are genuine because uh, there's no reason why Terry would leave that ranch uh, otherwise. I mean, I mean, that's his goal, is to raise hybrid cattle. That's, that was his dream.
0: That's what he but wanted if, to if do. We're looking, his dream if we're, went down hard. Yeah, so. but if we're looking at 12 cattle, that's not a ranch.
1: Well, he has hundreds of cattle, but 10, 10 were mutilated or disappeared. Um, what I was talking about earlier is in northern New Mexico, a lot of the small ranchers, oh, that they have one or two. Cattle. But one, so, no, but but Terry, Terry had hundreds of head out there. So,
0: yeah, but yeah. once again... Push comes to shove. There's no evidence. A lot of hearsay.
1: Well, and, and that's, you know, is is it hearsay or is it eyewitness report after eyewitness report after eyewitness report? So, you know, that's okay. I mean, people who, if people don't want to believe the sermons, mm-hmm. that's fine. That they, but But if people want to be open to the idea that possibly this family experienced something unusual and may have contacted another side, whatever that side is, uh, then i th- you know and things like this have happened elsewhere i mean it's not you know this isn't the only report now the blue balls are are pretty interesting that i think is fairly new and of but, course that's in our film and i'd love to hear more cases
0: about that but once again once again there's no eyewitness uh, all right there there may have be there may be second and third hand mm-hmm. uh stories about it but when it comes to, when push comes to shove there's a lot of hearsay there's a lot of you know a lot of Non-substance. It's another story. It's another Roswell.
1: Yes, and and the National Institute for Discovery Science and Bob Bigelow and all those guys, they, they would agree with you entirely. Absolutely. Because yeah. that's that's what they came away with. Ultimately, other than other than a camera that shows mm-hmm. another camera being completely stripped in 1.3 seconds with no explanation, that was really the, the only thing they came out of there with as far as physical evidence and the cow that, that was mutilated. They did... Uh, have a necropsy done on the on the cattle.
0: And what was the results uh, of the uh, autopsy on the cattle?
1: Yeah, I think you can still find it online. It was just like all the other cattle, cattle mutilations with a uh, high-heat laser uh, of some type being used. Uh, I believe they did send those to Dr. Al- Altshuler, who uh, worked for uh, Bigelow and another. Of uh, Bigelow was funding him for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just looking at cattle mutilations and trying to figure out uh, what My, they were all about.
0: See, one of the biggest questions I have is... Why would an intelligent race, who is using cattle for experimentation or for whatever reason, why would they leave the evidence there to be found? That does not well, make probably, sense.
1: Well, probably because they know we can't do anything about it. And why why would they care? It's just like somebody uh, drinking a soda and throwing the um, can into the garbage because you don't need it anymore. You know, I, I don't yeah. think they I, I don't think they care what we think because that was part of the point was that. Hey, with the telepathic communication, if it was real, it was basically saying, look, we're doing what we're doing, you're not going to understand it, yeah. but, you know.
0: Zach, I want to thank you for joining us. Great having you with us. XO Nation, our guest this hour has been uh, Zach Van Eck, talking about the uh, Sunwalker Ranch. I'm sorry, XO Nation, I just can't get into this. I really can't. A lot of hearsay, and a bigelow walks away from it. yeah. You know, Not that I give him more credit than anybody else, but I don't see a story here. I really don't. I see a made-for-TV movie or a TV show, but sorry, don't buy into it. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.